Welcome to the Tech for Good podcast. We are very passionate about two things, technology and our world. In each pod, we will be interviewing some fascinating people, business leaders, but those with a special interest in solving the biggest issues facing humanity today. Think the environment. Think healthcare provision during a pandemic. Think global social injustice. If you want to know more about technology's immense potential to fix and transform, then you're in the right place. In this episode, I speak to Alistair Fulton. Alistair works for Semtech and is a thought leader on the topic of the Internet of Things. When it comes to fighting climate change, the IoT has an important role to play. In the podcast, Alistair talks about LoRa, the low-power wireless platform for IoT devices pioneered by Semtech. He tracks how this technology is reducing the carbon footprint of our cities, and he reveals how the IoT can connect shareholder and environmental motives. But first, I ask Alistair to tell us more about Semtech. Semtech is a a semiconductor company, which means we make um, silicon chips that do a variety of different things. Um, We've been around for quite a while. It's about a 60-year-old company, which is quite unusual um, in this space. And and we really have three uh, primary product areas. One area of our business is focused on um, uh, high-bandwidth digital signal processing, so the sorts of things that you find in data centers and at the foot of 5G cell towers. Um, dealing with you know, significant volumes of data, right at the other and you know, chips that are kind of size of a slice of toast. Um, and right at the other end of the spectrum, we have a business which deals with protection. Um, so uh, all of the electronics around us are subject to damage from electrostatic force. And uh, we make a variety of different products that protect against that. So they, they lengthen the life of electronic components and devices and so forth. And then there's the business that I'm responsible for, which is uh, the wireless and sensing business. There's two parts. One is uh, uh, wireless, which is primarily LoRa, which is a low power, uh, wide area, um, long range, um, low cost solution for connecting IoT sensors. And the other, the sensing part is actually focused more on cell phones and wearables. Um, So touch um, interfaces, and uh, protection against overexhaustion of of, uh, of uh, energy into your head um, from your cell phone. So, uh, but really, the focus of my business is very much on on LoRa um, and the and the benefits that, that that can bring. Let's talk a bit more about those benefits, then, Alistair. You know, talk a bit more about what LoRa is, and maybe explain some some of the use cases as well for the listeners. LoRa is it's it's a one of a group of technologies called LP WAN, low power wide area networks. Um, and in the case of LoRa, wide area means tens, sometimes hundreds of, of miles, uh, including you know all the way from ground based um, sensors to satellites, both geostationary and low Earth orbit. So really quite significant ranges. Um, I think that the, the, it runs into hundreds of, of, of miles, kind of the longest uh, that we've recorded. Um, that's kind of one aspect. So it means that you can deploy very little infrastructure and cover a really wide area, um, which makes for very cheap connectivity. Um, the other aspect of LoRa is that it's phenomenally low power. So you can run a sensor um, for 10 years on a coin cell battery, depending on how frequently the sensor sends data, of course. 
And the reason that those two things are important for the IoT is that um, for IoT use cases where you're dealing with machines that send significant amounts of data, you know, there's quite a lot of pretty good solutions available today, all the way from hardwiring the machine through to you know 4G and 5G or Wi-Fi. Um, and that's great for things like um, asset monitoring or, or um, industrial maintenance and those sorts of applications. But for IoT use cases which require data from a very wide set of, of sources, there aren't that many good solutions, particularly when those sensors are, need to be battery powered. They can't be fixed to anything. They might be on a cow or even in a cow in some cases. They might be on a pallet. They might be... Um, and, and those sorts of use cases really are where the IoT, I think, stands to deliver the most benefit in terms of reducing the impact of, of human-caused climate change. Because it's those use cases where by generating data on the entirety of the process instead of you know, just one machine that kind of sits at the heart of it, we're able to make better optimization decisions to drive you know, more from less. Um, and, and at the root of IoT, really, for me at least, that's the goal, to make more from less, um, less CO2 emission, less consumption of water, pesticides, you know, raw materials. And that, that feeds very closely into a profit motive that drives most enterprises. That's interesting, Alistair. Is that climate point, you know, climate impact central to everything you are doing around Laura? then? Is that, you know, when you're talking about and, and developing this technology, is that is that right in the middle of your thinking? I think it features in every single aspect and every single use case that Laura's used for in some way or form. Um, and, and certainly um, for me personally and the team, it, it, I, I ended up in the IoT space because, you know, I, I've been through cellular as many folks have, in the IoT space you know, started out in that world, um, you know, all the way back to SCADA systems and the like, you know, but the, the, the driving force really is um, producing technologies that can actually you know, make a difference for our customers and making those technologies much easier to use so that they can be used by more customers to have a, a greater benefit. Um, and and you know, certainly that's what gets me out of bed in the morning. And I know that's the case for, for a lot of the team. You know? um, uh, I'm not sure whether you have kids, but you know many of us have kids, and at the end of the day, how do you look your kids in the face and and, uh, and you know honestly tell them that you're doing something good in the world if you, if you're if you're not? So yeah, are you saying that's a strategic kind of priority for Semtech as a, as a company then, right from the very top? It is. I mean, we 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 are um, we have been around a while. We 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 like to think of ourselves as quite a, a family oriented business. Many of the team have been with us for a long time. And, you know, certainly for our CEO, Mohan on down, this is a guiding principle um, across our businesses. Um, now, in the case of signal integrity, that's about, and that's the high, high data throughput, that's about producing more efficient ways, more power efficient ways primarily of transporting, you know, the vast amounts of data that, that swirl around us each day. At the, at the protection, in the protection business, that's more about, you know, making a, a, a machine last for 20 years instead of 10. Um, and that really has a very um, direct impact. Um, I think particularly it's the case in, in Laura. Um, and it's synonymous with, with the use cases that Laura, Laura targets. You know, and I think there is a very, very big you know, opportunity um, to service the needs of those customers 
like I said, with a very simple and easy to use technology. So, and we're a, we're a commercial business and we're a publicly traded company. And so, you know, we have a responsibility to shareholders. It just so happens that that responsibility to shareholders aligns very nicely um, with the goal of driving adoption of IoT solutions. Now, on on the climate point, Alistair, a big topic is often, you know, urban infrastructure, the development of of mm-hmm. smart cities, making our, our big urban sprawling cities of, of, of around the world more sustainable, smarter. Maybe you can tell us a bit about how LoRa can can be deployed in in that context, and and some examples as well, if you if you have. LoRa really started um, in um, smart metering. That was actually one of the use cases that LoRa was originally developed for. Because you know, smart metering requires that you have the ability to to connect to a meter that might be you know twenty foot underground. Um, you need very low cost infrastructure because the 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 cost that you're trying to replace is you know, on the one hand it's people walking around reading meters, but on the other hand it's really driving incremental savings in energy uh, by by allowing the consumer to to understand you know what they're using more effectively and also allowing the utility provider to price according to um, you know, time of day, CO2 impact or cost of impact. Um, from that start point, what we, we saw originally was once networks had been deployed in cities, people figured other ways of, of, of using those networks and, and deploying other solutions like smart parking. Um, and smart parking is a, is a, um, a good example of minimizing and reducing the amount of, of land that's devoted and, and land that's covered with asphalt to provide parking spaces. Um, so it directly reduces the, the um, impact of, of parking. Um, and it also increases the efficiency of driving. If you know where you're, park, you're going to go park, you don't spend 10 hours you know, driving around the block looking for a parking space. And from there, streetlights to control um, the energy used in lighting um, uh, according to time of day. So it used to be the case that streetlights were simply put on a timer, pretty much, that they came on at 6 o'clock and they went off at 8 o'clock in the morning. And smart street lighting allows cities to uh, power on lights in areas where there is need, where there are people, um, or to more accurately, you know, time the on and off um, um, switch with you know, lighting conditions, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And it really kind of goes on from there. You, the, there are use cases that go inside the building, and so there are really massive savings to be had from optimizing you know, energy consumption in buildings. If you look at at what it costs you know in environmental terms to um, support a building in the in Europe it's around 34 kilograms of co2 a year every meter squared and that's made up of the consumption of gas uh, and consumption of electricity involved in heating and lighting and so forth if you deploy sensors into that environment you know and I'll, I'll, without going into the math you get very quick return on investment um, even from very minimal savings in energy, if you can if you can reduce the energy that you're consuming in a building by, you know, five percent, an IoT solution that allows you to do that pays for itself within a month. And, and particularly in times of COVID, I mean, I'm sitting in my office building at the moment. There aren't that many people here. We have a full, as you would imagine, you know, a full smart building solution. So the lights don't turn on if no one's there. The blowers in the air conditioning don't turn off if the room's not occupied. If the room is occupied and CO2 levels rise, then on they come. 
So tailoring energy use actually to the problem that that energy is being is just, you know, used to solve has massive benefits. It's really interesting stuff, Alistair, and, and imagining a really big opportunity for, for Semtech as well. I was going to ask, where do you think we're at with on this journey towards smarter, ultimately, urban environments, smarter homes? What What's your kind of take on that right now? Do you think do you think, for example, city authorities are doing enough? Do you think they're aware enough? Do you think, do you think enterprises are are kind of switched on to the to this challenge and the solutions available? What's your take on that? I think it it varies around the world, honestly. Um, and there are countries, um, particularly in Europe, honestly, that are really leading the charge when it comes to awareness of. Um, uh, human caused climate change. I think there are other geographies where there's less, you know, there's less awareness, and, and there are also a number of countries that are in, you know, they're in the industrial revolution phase. You know, that we, we in Western economies we were in maybe a hundred years ago, and I think there the focus is really on on ensuring that their populations are are housed and fed and educated and you know really basic. Um, really basic human needs. So I think it varies greatly. Um, in terms of, of where we stand, I think there is a, a coming together of various different forces at the moment. I think when you look at um, built environments like smart home and buildings, there's been a, a, a driver for, um, if you like, occupant experience for a while. I don't know about your house, but in my house I have, you know, smoke sensors and all of these things are connected wirelessly to a, to actually a number of different networks. Um, and I think for a while in the consumer space, there's been a real proliferation of really quite interesting solutions that are tailored to make your life better or, or you know, improve the usage of your home, etc. Those technologies in recent years have really started to come together and be easier to use. And that, I think, has been the real barrier. You know, if you have to have five different networks in your home, you know, how much saving you're actually getting. You've got five different network gateway. I mean, the, the cost and therefore the environmental impact of these solutions has in, in the past been quite high. That's getting better. I think when you look at the enterprise space, I would say, and I've been, I've been in, in IoT 25 years, I don't really want to calculate it, actually. Um, when you go back 10 years ago, Conversations that you had with enterprises about IoT tended to be with the CTO or the CIO. And they tended to be, this is a really interesting technology. We should understand how it works. And they tended to be very kind of proof of concept in nature. I would say in the last three to five years, those conversations aren't with the CTO or CIO anymore. They're with the CFO or the COO. Because it's become very clear to, to enterprises, particularly those that are involved in process-intensive industries, that differentiation and competition is more about what data you have and how you use that data than anything else today. Uh, I remember a few years ago talking with a, with a, a customer uh, who ran a car parts manufacturing operation in, in Eastern Europe. And um, it was funny, we were talking about uh, uh, the use of an IoT cloud platform. I was heavily involved in um, in uh, Azure IoT, my days at Microsoft. And it was quite a rough conversation, I have to say. And it went along the lines of, so you, this, you want me to put the data in the cloud? And I said, absolutely, and it's 
fantastic platform, etc. It's going to, and he said, no, 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 you don't understand. I have the same machines as my competitor. I employ the same people as my competitor. I make the same parts as my competitor. The only difference I have between myself and them is the way that I've configured my production line and the way that I've optimized my processes. And the fact that I can produce a better product for less is why I make money. And the, the punchline of the conversation was, and this is the data you want me to put in the cloud. So while the conversation was mostly about security, I think that really highlights how enterprises have started to see IoT. It's not a nice to have. You know, as I said, the benefits of IoT in the form of, 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 of reducing CO2, etc., those are very real benefits. And I would love to say that every single enterprise that implements IoT solutions, that's all they care about. But the reality is otherwise. And I think it, what's happened in the last few years is that an alignment has happened between, you know, doing the right thing, you know, for the environment and doing the right thing for your shareholders. And IoT is really in the in the center of that. IoT is how, whether it's LoRaWAN based or any other technology, honestly, IoT is how you connect those two motives. Hi, I'm Daniel Brigham, editor of the Tech for Good magazine. I hope you're enjoying this pod. And if you want more, why not head over to techforgood.net for some amazing and thought-provoking stories. You can read about one company's mission to use digital technologies in the fight against HIV or learn how social media can help refugees take control of their narratives. For those insights and more, read and subscribe at techforgood.net. Alistair, you're clearly very, you know, switched on, clued up with this with this challenge. I, I want to know a bit about, you know, where, where that has come from in the context of your own career. How, how have you... How have you made it your mission to do what you do on in in your in your industry to you know to, to try and to try and solve this problem? What where do you think that comes from? I mean, I would say over the course of the years, it, it has become increasingly obvious to me that that you know technologies like IoT really do hold the key, not the only key. They're part of the of the solution. But they're really a very important part of, of solving this problem. And, I, and I'm sure like you, Ben, it, 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 you don't have to read that many headlines to realize what's going on. And I, you know, and I, would, I, would, I would say, you know, after I had children, except, but it was before I had children. You know, and it played into my decision to have children, actually. You know, do you want to add another human being to this planet? It, there's plenty of us here already. Um, uh, and I'd say probably for the last 10 or 15 years, it's really been quite a focus for me that, that if we can take these technologies, which used to be ridiculously hard to use. I mean, that used to, when, when IoT was first in its beginnings, you had to be you know, very skilled technically in order to be able to build or maintain a solution, or you had to have a lot of money, or both. And, and both of those factors really meant that these technologies weren't going to spread and weren't going to have you know, as big an influence. Cloud IoT platforms really was a focus for me for probably 12, 15 years. Um, And that was really, you know, from my simplistic view, what did the cloud do? It opened up software development to a a much wider range of of potential innovators. It made um, the barriers to building interesting applications in the form of you know, buying servers and infrastructure, it made it much lower. It took it away. It really democratized access 
to some of these technologies. And now when you look at IoT um, cloud platforms, there are hundreds of them, and there are some excellent platforms out there. I mean, platforms like Azure IoT, AWS IoT, a proficient high schooler can build in a weekend an application that it would have taken, you know, me and a team of 20 engineers six months to build. I mean, it's incredible when you think about the, the change. The thing that, that that struck me a few years ago, and this is what led me into into the semiconductor space, which, you know, by any measure is seen as, you know, it's, it's kind of a bit of the dark ages, really, um, or at least how, that's how it's been perceived, I think, by the, the software world. Now, the reality is that nothing happens without semiconductors. And in the, reali- the reality in the case of the IoT is that it, it, it's great that you can do anything with the data. And the cloud has really solved the problem of what do I do with the data when I've got the data? And you can now really build very sophisticated analysis, like I said, very, very quickly. But the problem of getting the data hasn't, hadn't been solved. The problem is connecting everything, which has been the dream of the IoT all along. I'm going to walk into a factory and I'm going to connect everything. Everything that moves, everything that consumes electricity, that was a, a dream. Um, and we're not there yet, to be really clear, but it became really crystal clear to me a few years ago that the problem of what to do with the data is a largely solved one. The problem of how to get the data is still an area where there's much to be done. And, and it suffered from the same issues. You know, I think IoT has really suffered from proprietary technologies. You know, we're not, we're not going to have an impact on the planet if all we're doing is trying to sell suit to nuts, my solution versus your solution. I mean, I think that, that is, is, is a bit pitiful, really. I think that is, you know, that's the worst of, of, of if you like, pure capitalist thought, you know, never mind anything else. As long as you buy my stuff, we're all good. You know, we realized very, very early in, 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 in uh, developing Laura that, you know, techn- the technologies that really win are the technologies that are easy to use, that do the job well, and that have a lot of friends. And so we created a very open ecosystem to enable a whole bunch of people to go. And those folks, they build businesses around advanced analytics. Our job is not to provide those advanced analytics. Our job is to provide the vanilla piece that you need every single time that's more of a a barrier than it is a benefit. Really good. On a, on a final point, I want to I want to get your thoughts on on the future. Now, I think with with the pandemic, we've seen how how technology. I mean, you said earlier, you know, in terms of climate, we need to move quicker, faster. I think we've seen with the pandemic that you know just how technology can be deployed in in a in a quick way to solve a big problem. The climate change is 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 a much bigger problem than than a pandemic, obviously. Where what what do you see the future in in that context? Do you think we can move as quickly as we as we need to maybe from the perspective of your industry you know the the connectivity technologies that are going to enable that do you think that's possible i mean one of the things that the pandemic did you know i say did in the past tense which is wrong because it's not the past tense i think it really focused um the minds of a lot of customers and companies you know and, and companies aren't people people who are running those companies on a couple of different things one, in a situation where there's a, a virulent um, uh, virus, you know, that's extraordinarily effective at transferring itself from person to person, you know, what do you need? You need data. You need to understand where people are, where they've been, who they've been in contact with, whether the environments that they're in are safe, 
You know, is there, is there a concentration of CO2 indicating too many people? Are there 50 people stacked into a conference room? And I think it really, and in order to stay open and stay in businesses, companies, including companies like Semtech, had to very rapidly implement solutions that helped them ensure the safety of their workers or their customers. And I think the other thing that, that COVID did was, you know, lay bare, I think, some of the the stresses that have existed for a long time in global supply chains. You know, you saw it very, you know, quickly actually, disruptions in production on the other side of the planet having really major effects on on companies, you know, operating in the UK, for example. And that also really, I think, heightened the enterprise's attention on, oh shoot, you know, if I'm not sure whether I'm going to get the product that I need in order to produce my product, knowing where it is in the supply chain is is really important optimizing you know my knowledge of where i've got raw materials stored in the warehouse is really important making sure i'm making the most from as least as possible is really important so those things have accelerated i think the adoption that was happening anyway of iot now to your second question of whether or not we can move fast enough i mean that's a hard question you've got to hope that the answer is yes and i think that that the truth sadly you know remains to be seen i think if if enough companies you know are are able to access technologies which help them you know align their profit motive with doing the right thing for the planet then i think we have a chance if enough people you know implement solutions in their homes that that you know in the average american home the amount of energy wasted is 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 enormous um and if people implement solutions that just turn the air conditioning off or, or, or down when no one's in the building. These things can, they're small in and of themselves, but they can have really massive impacts if, if society as a whole takes action. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm a, an eternal optimist. You know, I, I, you have to be. I think that, that we will get there. I think it's going to be by the skin of our teeth if we do. And I think it's going to require you know, a lot more technologies like Laura, honestly, that are, are easy to use, that, that solve the problem and, you know, have a lot of friends, you know, have ecosystems of providers who can can give you solutions. So I mean, one of the things about the LoRaWAN ecosystem is I can go to any one of the hundreds of companies and I can buy a sensor that works in the same way. Now, one sensor might be a temperature sensor and one sensor might be a CO2 sensor, but they all work on the LoRaWAN standard which means they're all interoperable, which means that the acceleration of availability is much, much higher because it's not about proprietary stacks and you buy all of my stuff and not his stuff. You know, it's about an ecosystem-driven, you know, community-driven you know, proliferation of different solutions. And so that gives me hope, honestly. It, it gives me hope. And it also shows, you know, and I would say it goes back to one of your earlier questions, you know, what's guided me through my career it's amazing when you give people technologies that solve a problem that they can work with, what they come up with is truly astounding. And, you know, that energy of, of innovation, if we can unleash that, then, then I think we have, we have hope. Uh, we have an opportunity to have a material effect before it's too late. That was the Tech for Good podcast. Listen, subscribe, and rate us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher.